Cal Cates. And I am Kathy Ryan, major Heowell fan person. And this is another episode of Interdisciplinary. In this podcast, massage therapy educators, practitioners, and positive deviants, Kathy Ryan and me, Cal Cates, we use research, science, experience, and always humor to explore the broad landscape of healthcare through a truly interdisciplinary lens. We'll have honest, uncomfortable conversations about topics like access, ableism, racism, deathism, uh, equity, all those things. Um, and you'll always learn something, you'll always laugh, and you'll come away better informed and with some real things you can do in your own community and practice to create more compassionate and collaborative system of care for all of the humans. Please be sure to like us and share us and use all of your social media might to get the word out about the podcast. Remember to leave us a rating or better yet, a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, this week's pun. Man, it was a tough one because, you know, uh, when you recover from surgery, people send you all kinds of things to keep you busy. And uh, somebody sent me a, a book of like 305 dad jokes. And there a lot of them are ones I've never heard before. I feel like I've really fallen down on on the dad score. But um, so we'll, we'll go a little uh, anatomical today. You, you know what makes me smile? My facial muscles. <laughs> So, Kathy, what's happening in British Columbia? Oh, there's there's lots of snow. It's really cold, and uh, COVID is a thing, and it's still happening. And yeah, just still being careful, not going anywhere, not doing anything, wearing a mask. Um, wiping down, washing everything, disinfecting everything. That's pretty much where we're at. Yeah, I, I think we're about in the same place. I mean, I think, and I wonder if you guys are experiencing the same situation we are here where there's sort of a, a, a lack of understanding about what it means that people are getting vaccinated um, and and sort of, you know, what, how, and how not that um, opens anything up in terms of, you know, our being in public spaces and things like that. So I think, you know, we, we never really got off the, um, the education curve. And I think we have a new education curve now as we help people understand that it's important to get vaccinated. And it's also important to keep wearing your mask. Um, and like, this is how the vaccine works. And it doesn't necessarily make it so that you can't spread it. Although, the latest data about, I think it's uh, AstraZeneca has a, a new one that's coming down the pipeline that actually they are showing that it also helps to prevent um, the person who has been vaccinated from spreading. Um, but I think that's just going to serve to confuse things. So <laughs> we will have to just continue to be diligent in our in our understanding of how it works and helping others to understand that. Yes, I'm just of the mindset that I will be wearing a mask for the foreseeable future. Exactly. And anyone settling, yeah, and anyone coming into my practice will be wearing a mask for the foreseeable Absolutely. future. You know, it's the it's the kind thing to do. It is the kind thing to do, and I sort of I love the that the shift in administration here in the states has sort of, um, you know, I I want a a small action figure of Dr. Anthony Fauci, but um, particularly since Joe Biden has become the president, he has been saying some of the things that I think he had been wanting to say in the prior administration. And, and I think my my most favorite, um, I'm not going to quote him exactly, but basically he said, 
why is it so hard for me to help you understand that it's important to take care of other humans? You know, that this is really what this is about is just being kind to each other. You wearing a mask is a little thing that you can do <laughs> for me and everyone else in your community. So, well, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, the public health officials here in BC, there recently was an article that came out about how the cold and flu season has magically disappeared here because so many people are wearing masks. So it's been, yeah. it's been, it's how been interesting that? to see that. Right. I think, I, and I think that was kind of an aha moment for a number of people. It's like, Oh, I haven't had a cold this year. Oh, yeah. Normally we see a lot more cold and flu kind of stuff going around and it's not happening this year. Why is that? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Masks or conspiracy. Hard to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, science, you trickster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But enough of that. Um, we have a really enough of that. We've got a really fancy guest today. We do. Go ahead, Kathy. I don't want to, I'll, I'll let you. Um, no, I'm just, I'm here. just excited uh, to let our fancy guests introduce um, themselves to our listeners out there. Fancy guests, take it away. Ooh, I love I love the fancy guest. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Chanda Hinton and I am the executive director. I'm calling in from Denver, Colorado, and I'm the executive director of two organizations. One's the Chanda Plan Foundation, one's the Chanda Center for Health. We've been around for 16 years. And as um, the founder and the executive director, it was really coming forward to say, hey, folks with long-term physical disabilities really needed an additional way to be proactive and preventative with their bodies and their health care. And by doing so with um, acupuncture, massage, chiropractic, a lot of other services where one, it's sustaining their wellness, reducing additional costs for unnecessary things that just happen by being a human and getting sick. But then there's extra when you have a, a long-term disability and also saving some money for for the state and for healthcare, and then just producing a quality of life where people um, get to live in in the light and in the vibration that they are meant to live in and, um, you know, be social, be employed, do all the things that as humans we strive and love to do. And so our organization, that's kind of a little nutshell of um, what, what it is that we do. Um, and I'm so excited to be talking with you guys today and just talking about our work, but all kinds of things where our work can blend into other areas. Well, I think I just heard a mic drop. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I mean, like drop. I, I feel like your your name should be Chanda Interdisciplinary Hinton. Yeah, because, you know, one of the reasons we're so excited to have you on is is that in so many ways, the the way that your organization approaches care is is interdisciplinary and multi layered and multifaceted, like the people that you serve. Mm -hmm. um, would you tell us? So you came to this quite personally. Um, yes, and would you tell us more about that? Absolutely. So when I was, um, I was injured when I was nine. So I was accidentally shot um, between C5, C6 um, and in the cervical spine. And so it severed my spinal cord there. And from nine until I was 21, I was obviously just a part of the medical model. I grew up in Nebraska, not to say that um, I think that obviously different states have different progression based on also who's um, 
who's running the state in, in terms of like what healthcare looks like in that state. But then also just being in 91 was the year that I was injured. So even in 91, regardless of the state being conservative or not, or who's really, um, you know, running the state in terms of the governor at that time, or even the country, it's like there is a progression of like when things occur, right? And I think that we're still living in a space where interdisciplinary services are still a fight, right? And so when I was injured and the the conversation was really, hey, here's your spinal cord injury. Here's all the secondary conditions that come with that. But here's all the medications you're going to take to address those secondary conditions. Well, from nine until 21, a body doesn't take on that level of model of healthcare. It, it, it's, it's not giving the body what it deserves in order to be vibrant and live healthy and all the things that we kind of discussed at the very beginning. And so when I turned 21, I started having kind of another quote unquote secondary condition, which was having a lot of severe um, chronic pain in my chest and lower back. So basically, um, I started having that chronic pain and I go to my physician and he's like, oh, that's another secondary condition. So here's um, here's the narcotic, here's the Percocet. And so in 03, like that's the point in which um, the narcotic epidemic is really starting where it was kind of being given as this long-term level of care versus it's supposed to be very short and minimal, right? And so uh, with me, it really, really, I feel like that was like my body being having a spinal cord injury, having all that medication. And then this one additional piece that just really knocked my system out, like slowed everything down. And we even talked about just like pooping is one of them. It slowed down the level of toxins, toxins being able to be released from my body. And, yeah. and then so many other ways, like lack of clarity. Like I was just like, I, so I got to the point where I was like, wow, when I was first injured, I remember them saying to me, your life expectancy is going to be shorter with a spinal cord injury. So I just um, started to live into that reality, thinking like, "Wow, so this this is this is the time. This is where this is where it's all happening, right?" Wow. And so, um, where it was like I was kind of I just assumed I was transitioning, and so right. Uh, and so with me, when I the the narcotics being able, to, it messed up my stomach severely. I stopped like eating. I stopped like having really that thrive for life. And so um, got down to 59 pounds. And at that point, my family got really, really scared. Um, so medical intervention was was essential. And so I was put into the hospital to use medical intervention, which it's very weird to think about that dynamic where it's like medical, the medical model caused me to seek or need medical More. intervention, right? <laughs> right? Like to save my life. So it's Oh, here, this is supposed to be producing your quality of life, but guess what? It didn't. And so now you're here and we've got to use more to save your life. So it was very, Ugh. and as like a 21 year old at this point, I'm just like, this is very weird. Right. And so, um, the medical intervention, they put a feeding tube in, I was being fed inter intravenously, all of that. And, um, so the medical intervention saved my life. So then at that point, the doctor's like, Hey, um, with, with, you like, we're good to go, like, go, go back and live life and do what you were doing before. And that's when it was like, like, wait a second, like, my sister who had been practicing yoga for so long, stepped forward and said, Hey, why are we going to go back and do what we did before? Because 
here now we're looking at a vicious cycle yeah. of like just going back to the old thing that's going to cause us to be where we are today. And so she said, let's try and think about what other ways can we redefine the way that we address Chanda's spinal cord injury for the sake of giving her body the things that it's it needs to yeah. address those secondary conditions, but also to give it like the, the blood circulation, the lymphatic drainage, because those medicines that you get for the secondary condition, they only address that secondary condition, but they don't give you other things in addition. Like, so when, when I do like massage, it's like, it's addressing a secondary condition, but it's giving me the blood circulation. So it's like addressing even with, so for me, when she said, let's, so my doctor's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Like, what should we try? And she's like, what about acupuncture? What about massage? What about chiropractic? What about all of these services that the body deserves? And I'm like, and it's so funny because when you think about it, you're like, oh, well, that makes a lot of <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, right? And yeah, and I, and I, we can go back into why I feel like a lot of physicians even don't recommend these kinds of things because I think there's a lot of red tape and barriers and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that she brought it up and my family was so motivated to say Chanda's life and body deserves that, so we just financially took it out of pocket and did it. And so yeah. I am talking with you guys today because of integrative healthcare, the interdisciplinary, yes. all of these services, giving my body and they all give something different. So when I put them all together, it's like I get to be this vibrant um, individual that has ideas and um, motivation and can inspire other people to like get involved into something where we're actually giving the body and other people the access to these. So when, when it saved my life, I'm like, okay, this is great. But what about everybody else's life? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> then I I started to like look into like oh was this just isolated incident here like am I the only one in the world that experienced what I experienced and it was like no you weren't and so with that I got really motivated especially because I had so much clarity in my mind and um not being like drugged up all the time to the point where I could have the motivation to do the research and re outreach and all these kinds of things and so with that being said I really noticed that what I was experiencing was not just my story. It was, it was millions of people's stories, not just people with spinal cord injuries, like everybody. Yeah. But I had to focus on the population that I knew could really be at benefit, especially when I had Medicaid paying for all this sick care, but not having Medicaid pay for proactive and preventative care. Right. And so for me, that was the biggest thing. I called up Medicaid and I was like, hey, so like, I'm really like doing well and I'm saving you lots of money. Yeah, right. You're welcome. <laughs> exactly. You want to pay for my integrative health care and not my sick care. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well, you know that we don't do that. And I said, and I was, I'm, I was 21. Right. So then I'm all like, well, let me talk to your supervisor. And they're just laughing. Yeah. <laughs> they're all like, they're like, you have, that's a legislative decision. And I was like, oh, well, tell me more. And they're yeah. like, you have, you've got to go to the legislative body within your state and really propose that Medicaid were to fund those services and why and la la la. So that's what I did. So in 09, I went to Colorado legislation. In 09, we passed a bill that got Medicaid to pay for acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic for folks with spinal cord injuries. And I said to them, we're doing this because I guarantee we're going to save you money. We're going to improve the quality of lives. And all the population that you say are unemployed and not con contributing to society. Unemployable. Exactly. Right. right? There's that. Yeah. yeah. 
So it's like all of these things. It's it, it's it was focused on the healthcare, but there's as you know, there's all these like other things that it affects, right? And yeah. so um, we now have that waiver in Colorado um, as of today, and this year we're actually expanding it to other disabilities. So um, we wanted to show them that with a smaller population, we'd have cost savings, but that with that, we could then show them that by doing it for other MS, MDs, brain injury, like all of these others, that we're going to have a huger cost effectiveness. And so yeah. um, this year we're expanding it to other disabilities and um, statewide. And then eventually I think that there's a deeper conversation about like, why isn't this conversation happening with CMS on a federal level, rather than having each state fight state by state, which is, I think for me, that's ridiculous when there can be more of a conversation on a federal level, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that, so th that personal story led into being an advocate on a systemic level. While the systemic level is being narrowed, I had to then look at, well, wait a second, how can we still serve those other disabilities that are not being funded by the waiver, right? And that's where the Chanda Plan Foundation raising money to make sure that the other folks could still access what this population is getting from Medicaid. Because it's not fair to be living in the community and you have the same almost, I mean, your, your disability is not the same, but rather your secondary conditions are. But you're like, oh, wow, you're in some sort of a pilot program with the Medicaid, but I've got the same complications, but I don't, I don't deserve it. And it's like, well, yes, just through another avenue, through the Chanda Plan Foundation yeah. and getting services at the Chanda Center for Health. Yeah. So does that kind of, but listen, I'm just like, I, could, I, I'm, I love this stuff, so I could talk too much. No, well, I think it's really interesting because, uh, well, it's just really interesting. We can just put a period on that. But And, co and commendable. I, Come truly, on, man. Yeah, yeah. Amen. <laughs> exactly. Wow. But I think that this idea of, one of the things that I really love when, when we were first introduced to your organization is that you are providing the service while doing the advocacy work. And I think that this is part of the problem with, with our excitement about starting nonprofits in the United States is that we, we solve health problems by putting a bandaid on it. Like if you're raising money from the community to provide a service that should be mainstream care, you're you're kind of part of the problem if you're not also going to the decision makers and saying like so why should I have to raise money in my community for this thing that would save the community a ton of money and even make the community money and you know as you were talking I was thinking and it it never occurred to me until just now um, but uh, I really wonder how much of the ongoing resistance to this is about the loud people are women the people who live with chronic conditions are often people of color and the people who are deciding about this are white men and mm -hmm. that we have a very sort of white supremacist healthcare system. Yep. And that, you know, without even thinking about, like I think about the massage therapy profession, we're upwards of 90% female. We're not going to get a bunch of white men to say, well, absolutely. We would want to entrust care to all these ladies, um, yep. you know? And so you, you know, they say, Oh, well, we need more data and we need this and we need that. But there's a thing that they're not even aware of, like their basic discomfort in entrusting healthcare to female people. And, you know, and that it doesn't feel like an emergency to provide this kind of care and quality of life to people who aren't like them. Um, yes. So I think, I mean, it's very much a social justice issue. Absolutely. And I loved everything that you just said. And I think that what's even more frustrating is when, when you say that, like, then those that 
and I may be giving away my secret, but <laughs> over here, over here on the backside, I had to be creative and tricky yes. about how then I presented it. Because if I would have went in with all of what you are talking about, meaning like a, a ton of women in wheelchairs that were all white <laughs> or, 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 not, or not white. Or not you know white, I mean? right. That, that's what I meant was a ton of women in wheelchairs that were not white. Do you, the outcome would have been very different. Yes. What I did is I staggered it with white women in wheelchairs, white men in wheelchairs, mm -hmm. and I had it all driven by the consumer. Yeah. Meaning like there were no providers that were there to say, well, my cert, like, cause then I thought even they would be going into a place where it's like, oh, well, the consumers just, they, the, the massage therapists and the acupuncturists, they just want more, more money. And it's like, right. we're not even going to let that go into their heads. Right. Because <laughs> Excellent, Smithers. Excellent. Like, <laughs> but for me, I was like, I wanted to be able to say that, by driven by consumers, to say that this is what we're saying that we need, right? And whatever I could eliminate from the bias that was existing, even though it's yeah. like, I also want to break that down. But like, at, at what capacity? Was I going to lose out on something by also trying to break that down, right? Right. And so it's such a hard struggle. And I, I love that you brought that out because it's something that absolutely is a part of the bigger problem. And I also love that you said that organizations, nonprofits, there's so many organizations that are starting up. And it's like, I always want to see them having some level of systemic change while they're doing the work on the ground because it's kind of like... It is being a part of the problem because when I say to my donor, guess what? Your donations are going to go further because we're trying to fix the primary problem, which means yes. that if we go away, these people still get the services. Like that's the goal at the end of the day and to yeah. actually try to make ourselves go out of business. Yeah, exactly. Right. We want a world where we don't need the Chanda Plan Foundation. Exactly. <laughs> totally. And and so I do, I do love, um, Cal, everything that you just said, just resonates with me and our organization and our mission and what we really um, strive to do, especially within those those other complex areas that are just also right in our face so much over the last four years. Like it's yeah. been it's been really, really hard to watch. And um, but yeah. Well, and, you know, uh, the bottom line is you appealed to the bottom line as well. So yeah. you gave them that information on this is going to save you money if you do it this way. It's not yeah. going to cost Medicaid more money. This is actually going to save money and and not just in healthcare, but you outlined all those other ways uh, people being able to be viewed as more employable and, and all of those, you know, uh, various uh, tentacles attached to, to that. And, I have to say you're brilliant in the way that you went about this. And as well, just to have that vision of, you know, as, as Cal had pointed out, rather than just funneling, you know, money to care for people, which is very important, but mm -hmm. also the advocacy piece to change what is broken in the system to make the system better for everybody. Yeah. No, yeah and thank you. And, and I'll, I'll also say that like, I, I did this with a lot of counsel, like counsel and other humans like connected, which I think is really important that we always remember that when we're doing our work as grassroots organizations or individuals, like I, I did it with so much love and support from other people, like, yeah. you know, a pro bono lobbyist and, and, and one that keeps like 
coming back and being like, so what do you want to do this year? And what do you want? And I'm like, <laughs> yes. Like, and so like those, those kinds of things are just like, yeah, like I have this, I have this um, thought and vision of how something, but the fact that like people rise to then be the supporters of that continued movement, movement is just like, it's beyond, I, I always say that I'm, I've been experiencing humanity in the most beautiful way possible, especially during what we are seeing around humanity. It's like, it feels good to know that like, I get to be connected with people that are doing good. Right. And so yeah. I feel very, very fortunate about that. And um, cause I guess for me, it's like, I never want to be an individual that takes credit for this work because it takes so many people to put it together. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really amazing. Absolutely. I wonder, I'm not, maybe a question will, will emerge um, <laughs> from this, but so we had a, a, a wonderful guest on um, our show last season on massage therapy without borders, Kelly Mack, who um, has lived with rheumatoid arthritis quite seriously since she was really young and she lives in a wheelchair now. And, um, and she talked about how much she loves her wheelchair and how people don't understand. Like, mm -hmm. I don't thank God for my wheelchair, but also the, you know, as we talk about racism and just lack of equity and things, the fundamental challenge, um, is this idea that we don't know we're deciding who's human. Um, and that like people that we, we bestow with the title of human get better care, get seen, get, you know, appreciated. And I think people of color, people with disabilities, trans people like mm -hmm. are, are other than human. And mm -hmm. I wonder, I mean, I think, like you said, I think, and I think we do the same thing at Heal Well, you can't go straight into people's faces and say like, you're not seeing me as a person. Um, but I wonder if you could speak to do you see a sense of like, you know, I mean, to be a human, of course, there's the whole model of like, you have to work and you have to quote, contribute to society. And, um, and that's those stories are wrong, too. But um, what do you see happening as people who, like you said, like you thought, well, I'm dying, you know, this is this is the end of my road, because I have a spinal cord injury. And as people come out of that, through the services from your organization and through other advocacy, do you see any sort of shift in, in mainstream understanding, at least in your community of what does it mean to be a person with a disability and, and how valuable as any other human people with disabilities are? Yeah, no, I love that question. Um, you'll notice that I love a lot of stuff because I just love. <laughs> That's excellent. <laughs> I cause I, I'm like, I love, love, I love, 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 love. So, um, but for, um, yes, I, I have a very close friend, um, which I think you guys and I had talked about his, his name is Matthew Sanford. He's up in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and he does mind body solutions. He does, um, conversations, you know, adaptive yoga with, um, disability. And, um, he, we've been, he just opened up a conversation about, the term disability and what, what like breaking that down to, to a level of truly understanding where um, I think what's happening is that, yeah, like we, we, we go into the world almost being identified by, not by this term, but how people identify with the term. Right. And so it's like, I don't, you know, I feel like sometimes we, we can make things happen because like, 
oh, people are feeling sorry for those with disabilities that need these. So that so that's wrong too, right? So it's like yep. not feeling sorry, not having this pity, not having. Um, it, it, I think that one of the things is that when people people start, and I think it, it varies too, but when people start to identify and look at their own level of how they identify with disability, they start to represent themselves in a way that hopefully are allowing others to then understand what disability is meaning in community. Does Am I making sense by saying, okay, because yeah, I feel, yeah. I feel as though that unfortunately the term should be identified by those that are living with it and, and, and the things that need to, and the issues and problems that need to be called out with it. Right. And so, um, but that doesn't always mean that those that are experiencing disability from, from the outside of not living with it is going to fully, I mean, it's going to take time, right? It's like, all of this is going to take time. And like, are we going to fully even experience it within our lifetimes? No, like we're not. And, and, and I think that, um, you know, there's this whole term called uh, inspirational porn, right? Where they talk about like, oh, you make me feel so good about myself. It's not my job that with my disability that I'm inspiring you so much that it's, that it's, I mean, I, right. want, I, I want there to be inspiration in the world. I don't want to sound like so cold about it, if that makes sense. But I, but I want to, I want people to like take witness or notice about what is it that they're being inspired by? Yeah. Is it is it is it in the right way? Is it for in the good of themselves and the the person that is inspiring them? Like really checking in with that, right? And so I, I do think that um, and then some people will never like I dive into the word and I want to know all about it. And this is like, and then other people will want to avoid the conversation, even with the disability, meaning like they're angry at the fact that they have to be in a wheelchair. They're angry of and so they're not going to they're not going to go there so then that them not going there will prevent those that are witnessing them to have whatever view they're going to have of it right so it's like um i hope that my answer or my thoughts there really made some sense <laughs> <laughs> well i think they do and I, you know i'm reminded of people that i've worked with with cancer who have said you know i hate it when people call me brave i'm not brave i have a shitty choice and i made it and like, you know, my choice is to like sort of lie down and die and let cancer kill me or to take these treatments that are really difficult, but it doesn't feel brave. It feels like I got backed into a corner and I did what I had to do. And I feel like the same thing people say, oh, you're so brave to have this surgery or go through chemotherapy. And it's like, well, it doesn't feel brave to me. And like, it's weird that you're taking inspiration from like my will to live, basically. Yep. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. And that's a really, that's a really great way of putting it. Um, and yeah, cause in, I mean, I, I, and then I think that at the same time, it's like, you know, any chance that I, you know, the balance between the two, any chance that, yeah, you can, you can, um, not have what you just said. Right. But then also like when I'm in the world and I see, I see a little kid observing me, and and that little one is really um, inspired by whatever it may have triggered in them to then know that like they may be able to also deal with um, challenges, um, discrimination, like whatever it may be. Like that's that's the part that I love it the most, right? Like, like 
that's the true like essence and like um, honesty that lives in that. And then there's all these things that live in between all the way to the extreme of like, you inspire me because you're a will to live, which is not that that's ucky, you know? And so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to be, and I always live in the space of balance, right? I'm always trying to like, where, where does it, where does it fall the pendulum from ex, like both extremes and how can I live in this space right in the middle of balance? Because I have, I want to, I want to meet people where they are too, right? I don't want to be um, trying to, prevent or judge where they're coming or have been lived like where did they grow up what was their family like Like, so there's a lot of like things I always want to take into consideration without like I don't just as much as I don't want them to judge this situation like I don't want to judge that and find this this level of like common ground and discussion like not not compromise I don't I don't want that term I don't think anybody should compromise but like finding things that are um in common are very important. Yeah. Well, and I, you, you know, this whole conversation and, and right at the beginning, what you had to say, and I said, okay, I just heard the mic drop because you really encapsulated, I think what, what Cal and I is the driver for us to do this podcast is to have these conversations about, can we just be kinder to one another you know, can we, regardless of what that person looks like or how they, can we just as human beings step up and be kinder? Yeah. And, and that seems so like, for me, I'm like, duh. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Why duh. is it so hard though? Why is it so hard? I don't, it's, I don't know. It's like kindness and love just feels so easy. It's like, it does. Well, and I was, you know, I was thinking as, as you were talking and, and about like the challenge of, you know, people who really fit into the approved model is actually a very small group, but it's kind of amazing how powerful the sort of approved model of like what a body is, what a person is, all of these things. But that we also, I feel like the struggle when we're doing any kind of advocacy work is to continue to come back to these are each person is a person. And, you know, I was talking with my son and he said, you know, I was really surprised to hear your friend Kelly say that she, she loves her wheelchair. And I, I didn't know that disabled people love their wheelchairs. And I said, well, hold on. Kelly loves her wheelchair. Mm. I think there are plenty of people who find themselves in a wheelchair who don't love their wheelchair in the same way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you don't now know what disabled people think of their wheelchairs you know what Kelly thinks about her wheelchair. <laughs> I, love that. I know that's hard, but that means that the next time you're, maybe you're forging a friendship with a person who's in a wheelchair, your job is just to listen to what they say about it. And yes. know that this is what it is for this person. Mm -hmm. We just want so much to get it right. And we come back to this in the podcast, almost every episode that we do so much harm by, by being afraid to get it wrong. Yes. And it's like part of kindness is being like, oh, I'm going to stick my nose out here and I know I'm going to say something dumb, but I just, I, I want to understand. And so how do we, you know, what's the best way to approach this with you? And, yes. and I'm not going to ask you, people always want me to, well, what do trans people think about blah, blah? I don't know. It's a pretty wide swath of oh, people. You're, you're like, I'll tell you what I think. I, exactly. Oh, if you want to know my opinion, I got lots of opinions. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, no, exactly. And 
you know what you what you said brought up this um notion that it's like when you think about disability like and how somebody thinks about it it's like um i think too the fear is that when they when we ask the question that we're going to offend and by okay here's the deal you but you will offend somebody you I, will. Like, people ask me and i don't get offended just because that's my personality right because right. as a human that's my personality not because of anything else and so it's like and then there could be somebody that's right next to me that you will ask the same question and you that you will offend them and so it's like i always encourage people don't don't go in to not asking it and if you do offend them just be like can can i understand why can you can you support me and and, and and again, that might be a difficult thing too, because then it's like, well, why is it my job to support you to understand? It's like, totally. I mean, it's so complex. And yes. it's so, I mean, I I think that, yeah, I think that it's um, it it is it is it's interesting because I I love um, you know, just with your with your son being able to be like, that's what Kelly thinks, but not what everyone thinks, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. I want to ask you a more granular question about, because I know a, a lot of our listeners are interested in all of these topics because they want to increase access for their patients or for themselves. And um, so in terms of like how it really looks, when you say there's a waiver, like, what does that mean? Like, take me through it either as a patient or a provider. Like, if I've got a person who is living with a condition that sort of falls under this waiver, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So- we basically, with the Medicaid program, what you can do is you can develop specific waivers in each state. And a waiver is basically saying instead of the traditional just state model of Medicaid, we're going to parcel out this very specific kind of um, packaged services, right? So in the state of Colorado, we have what's called the brain injury waiver. We have the spinal cord injury waiver, which is the one that we helped create. Um, We have what's called the elderly, blind, and disabled waiver, right? And so there's, I think Colorado might be the one with the most waivers. There's other states that have them, right? And so with that, it's just making sure that you're, you're wait, you're, you're not waiving, like, because people look at waivers, meaning like, oh, I'm signing off on something that's a waiver that I'm not going to I'm not going to sue you. Right. So, right. so it's, it's very different. It's asking the the government to kind of waive um, and say, Hey, instead of the services looking like this, we're going to package it like this for this population and for this services for these reasons. And so um, right now, the only frustrating part about the waiver that we helped create is that it's Colorado only and it's the Denver Metro Denver Metro only and spinal cord injury only as of right now. Okay. But this this uh, this legislative session, we're going statewide, so it's not just Denver Metro. Still will be Colorado, but it'll be outside of Denver Metro if if we can get it passed, which I'm confident that we can. The other portion would be that we're expanding it dis- with additional disabilities, right? And so um, what that looks like is then providers of acupuncture, massage, and chiropractic in the state of Colorado would become a Medicaid provider. There's some areas in there where I think like there's additional advocate work that we need to do as an organization that prevents really qualified providers from becoming a Medicaid provider because of 
the application process and some other things, right? And so it's funny to think that we have government assistance for a lot of things, but the government makes it so difficult for providers to become a provider. And then once they're a provider, um, additional complications associated to that and red tape of how it how it if it's affected by Medicare or other private insurance companies. So people will throw up their hands and be like, well, then I'm not going to be a provider of that. So then there's this there's this government weight or the state waiver that does a really amazing work with providers that don't want to do it because they're they're not going to the process of doing it, then once they're on there, the sustainability of it just feels like a nightmare. So then then there's people that have funding that are not going to access it because it's like, oh, well, there are no providers in the state that are going to serve it, right? Or, or, or yeah. be a service to it. So we're a provider of the waiver. We decided that um, there's only two of us in the state, which Metro-wise, I think that that's okay. But another one of our advocate work, advocate um, roles in expanding this waiver is that we're going to really have to support the department, Medicaid, healthcare policy and finance here, is that educating providers um, how to really effectively become a provider of this waiver. Um, and given we're a provider, we can have the the pros and the cons and the things to look out for. And so um, I think that's going to be because one of the one of the issues is one of the legislators said, OK, well, if we expand the statewide, then are we getting ourselves into a space where we're going to have a provider problem where somebody down in Pueblo with a spinal cord injury wants it, but then there's no providers because I'm like, well, that's going to have to be something that has to be that that's an outreach. That's an education. That's a piece that has to be done. Believe yeah. me, our waiver and our services are not the only one that's going through that. There are providers in the other parts of the state of services that don't exist because nobody's out there doing the outreach to educate them on this. So we will make it a part of our effort to ensure that more providers are aware of it. We'll probably even as an organization um, partner with providers to where we're the umbrella provider, but we enroll into Medicaid as they're the satellite location. So it's like, we'll have probably a ton of satellite locations where mm-hmm. people will go in and and do that because that's an easy way to do it. Um, but right now as a provider, that's where the Chanda Center for Health is yeah. a provider of Medicaid. So folks come in to our clinic here and they can get the acupuncture, massage and chiropractic. But on top of that, they can get in collaboration, um, uh, behavioral health, care coordination, uh, primary care. Once a month, we have the de- dental folks that come in. And so it's like really putting all of that collaborative care underneath one roof because we know that those three services on Medicaid are not the only three services that our folks need. And so we'll eventually want to expand even the services, right? To yeah. say, these three were these three are awesome, but what about physical therapy? What about like all these other things that this population truly needs on an ongoing basis. Absolutely. So do you have two organizations because you have a C3 and like a C6 or? We, we have a, we have two organizations. The Chata Plan Foundation um, is a 501c3. So we okay. raise the money to basically um, support the Chanda Center for Health. So offsetting any, any loss when, okay. when um, for example, when Medicaid reimburses us or the other services that we provide that are not currently being reimbursed for by Medicaid, we really su- raise money to support the services over at the center, which is a basically at no cost to the individual because they're on 
the waiver or $5, $10 per service because we have fun, money to offset it until their disability is eligible underneath the waiver, right? Okay. So it's, it's a very yeah. complex way of making sure that um, we're giving access to people while we're also f- systemically changing their access on, on the Medicaid level. And so um, it's, 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 it's pretty interesting to be able to have all of our staff and our program manager, everyone to kind of know, like when somebody comes through um, the door, they may be eligible for the SEI waiver. And so right away, we're going to be like, we're going to support you in getting on the SEI waiver because then you'll get acupuncture massage and chiropractic under Medicaid, which is sustainable. And then two, if right now you want another service, we have dollars that can support you in getting, you know, access to counseling or access to um, other uh, physical therapy that otherwise wouldn't be affordable to them or access because it's not covered yet. Yeah. Does that, does that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I think, I think people think that we're sort of, you know, giving them the Heisman when they ask us, how do I do this? And we sort of describe everything you just said. And we say like, there's not an easy way. And as a provider, who wants to be a part of this um, increased access and equity, you're going to take some hits. It's going to be hard. There's going to be bureaucracy. Like that part of the situation has not been resolved. And I think we're years away from solving that. Mm -hmm. But if we can increase access and as people who have the ability to take some of those hits, whether they be financial or bureaucratic or whatever, that's the commitment that you make in, in being an advocate and, and not everybody is in a place where they're able to do that, but it's, it can't be done simply at this point in time. Correct. (laughs) And, and, And what I've said to our board of directors is that one of the reasons why we started is that because we want to make sure that we're giving access to, to humans getting these services, right? Because one of the conversations as being the Chana center for health on that side, the actual delivery side of it is that the question came up, well, do we just stop taking Medicaid for that service? Because now that you're a Medicaid, you had to build Medicare and the other private insurances to get denied by them first before you got reimbursed. And it's like, oh my goodness. But then I say to my board, then if we stop becoming a Medicaid provider because of that, rather than changing this issue, then no. we we are now not doing the mission that we were set out to do. And so we're not my- showing the system that it doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> so I said, I said it's more of an advocate issue that we've got to change this rather yeah. than back out. Right. And so, yeah. um, and, and that's a lot of work, but I think that when you have folks that are dedicated to making sure that they've set out to do a mission and that, that people are getting accesses to access to services that they otherwise would not have. And if yeah. you bail on that because of the, the red tape, then you're, 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 you're not doing your mission. And I'm not saying that organizations that have had to make that choice because of like, financials or, I mean, had to, I I think that there's a time and place when organizations might have to make tough decisions because they just had to. Yep. Definitely. Well, and what you're doing to me seems like a perfect parallel to your life path in general. You know, you got to an age where it's like, and, and the conversation that you had with your sister, well, we can go back to this same way of doing things, but X amount of years from now, you're going to end up in the same place, or we can completely change how you are going to go about living your life and wellness. And you're doing the same exact thing with your organizations in that instead of just doing it the same way it's always been done, let's change the system. 
Let's yes. change the system in a way that's going going forward is going to make life so much better for so many people. You know, and as you're as you're talking, I got this image of a Swiss army knife because you're kind of like the Swiss army knife of organizations. <laughs> Not exactly. Not only are you providing care, but you're advocating, you know, at a, you know, with lobbyists to change systems that are non-functional. So it's like you've got so many tools going on here. And yeah, and it's really I, exciting. I lo- I, and I think that's really interesting is when you have those two pieces where you're the advocate organization and the provider, sometimes I get worried because I, I, I don't want to, I want to make sure that like those that see us advocating don't see us advocating for the sake of like, to make how more money. It, correct. It is actually to provide the access because when you, when, when you look at our financials, we, when we get that reimbursement, we are making no money. We make sure that the, the most of the dollars that are reimbursed to us are being paid to the person who delivered the services. We're yeah. not having a massage therapist do an hour worth of services and getting paid $30. Like, no, they're going to get the most of that reimbursement and a yeah. tiny percentage is going to go to us for the overhead cost associated to it. Whereas yeah. a lot of providers don't do that. And I think that there's a whole other advocate thing where it's like, I think that there needs to be like, as a provider, you only get to take this percentage yeah. and that this percentage needs to go to the actual person that did, did the service work. Yes. Yeah. It's so frustrating. No, I think you may, you make a couple of really good points there. And I think that paying this can't happen on the backs of providers, um, you know, clinicians. And also I find it so funny that people get all up in a twist that you'd be advocating to make money in our proudly capitalist society. Um, which of course that isn't what you're doing, but there's certain times when capitalism is uncool and yeah. when you're taking care of people who need more access, it's that's uncool. one of those times. <laughs> exactly. You're so, you're so uncool for helping people get access to services. <laughs> that's right. Now, I do want to ask you, when you made your approach uh, to the legislators, um, I know that like two of the biggest, you know, Mike Kaufman and Jared Polis are in Colorado and they were part of starting like the Integrative Health and Wellness Caucus. Were they there when you approached them? Have they been helpful? Like, were you initially well received and it was a matter of logistics or did you really have to like sell whoever it was you were approaching on, on the value of this? Yeah, this was when they were not in office. I don't even know. I, 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 it would be nice to actually look back and see where they were in 09. Like, again, I'll be honest when I went into it, I was very naive. Like I was, I, I was very naive about what, and, and. To some extent, I'm going to say it, it worked in my favor because I didn't go in there with fear. I went in there with like, this is what we're going to do. And regardless of who is in office, I quite frankly, I don't know. Can I say give a shit on this you podcast? Can. Oh, yeah. yeah. Please do. I, frankly, <laughs> she doesn't I, give a shit in case you didn't I, hear that. Yes. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> so I didn't because it was just like there was such a vision of humans getting access to services and really um, presenting it in a way that it was like, I was so naive about the players. And thank goodness I had a lobbyist that understood that to some extent, but like didn't really come to me and say like, oh, we're not going to do it this year because such and such is like, for them, it was like, first of all, we're going to make it bipartisan, which we're we're doing again this year. We have Uh a, we have both parties that are supporting the bill. I love that because I think it's critical. And um, I think that that always plays in our favor, having the individuals that are getting the services always representing the story. 
um, there's, there's, it's, it's, I think those are what make it successful. And um, I now want to, I'm going to go research and see where Jared Polis was in 09. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and, and right now he's been very heavy with education. So, yeah. um, and a lot of the disability folks have been, um, well, our Lieutenant Governor, Diane Primavera, she actually was a sponsor of our bill many years ago. And so she is a huge advocate for the disability community and she is always listening to us and our our needs and our access and our services. And so that's really beautiful. And she's then being able to represent that to, um, you know, Jared, uh, to Jared Polis and making him aware of it because education has been really his platform. And, um, but yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. I just went in without giving a shit and in some area, giving a shit and a lot in another area. Yeah, right. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think that's a huge thing actually to the, the naivete of like, this is just true. So I'm just yeah. going to go and I mean, speak truth to power and be like, Oh, this is just like, you'll get it. It's common sense. Yeah. Duh. <laughs> exactly. But it's, well, and it's, and, and some people, and some people, Kathy, they'll even say like, how did you do that? And I'm like, if I can do it, anybody can do this. Like, this is not like, I am not a unicorn. I am not like, well, I mean, okay, maybe I am. A I mean, bit. you are, but maybe, maybe a bit of a magical pixie. But that's not what made it work. Exactly. Right. Meaning that we're all unicorns and we can all make it happen. Right. And so yeah. it's like, for me, I always really stress that it's like, as a, as a citizen, as a, a member of your community, like, you have the power to really create change. And it's like, you know, the fact that my family knows that I've changed legislation, like to them will blow their mind. And I'm all like, I kind of just went into it being like, this is the right thing to do. That's right. <laughs> Here's a problem. I'm going to come up with the solution. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be exhausting as we all know. Like we, we all have different things that we're, I mean, Every day I get motivated by a problem. I have to step back and be like, okay, what problems am I really going to focus on? Because if I focus on all the problems, I'm not going to make any sort of impact. I really have to compartmentalize what it is that I can be the most influence in because I get motivated by so much. And um, I, I really encourage those that get motivated by problems to really let those that are are already doing certain things do it yeah. and kind of stay in your lane a little bit because yeah um yeah I just think that that's really important for yourself your self-care and yeah. that of who's else out there doing the work well and you know one of the so much of what you have said is everybody should be listening and one of the really important things that you just mentioned too that I think uh, warrants uh, you know another uh, mention is bipartisan. You know, I think if we've learned anything during COVID, hopefully we've learned a lot of things, but I think if we've learned anything during COVID is that people's wellness and um, health and wellness should not be a political issue. No, I agree. Absolutely. I agree. I think that the fact that so much of us have to fight for our health and wellness still to this day blows my mind. It's just like, yeah, it, it it's it's very interesting, and so um, I just encourage that we all keep um, 
you know, being being the voices that need to be heard because when we stop voicing, we then stop the the movement that could be possible. And um, and again, not all of us have to speak up. There are those that are going to speak up, and then there's going to be those that support those that are the, speaking up. And that's yep. that's another really critical thing to remember. It's absolutely. like absolutely, yeah. I think we forget that too. And so I, you know, I, I Maggie, our director of operations, she's been with me for ever, and it's been so the the level of our dynamic around where I speak up and I have an idea and she's the one that's been implementing. It's been like, and I've seen this dynamic in a lot of successful, um, I've read about it. Right? You know, it's like, it's a very yeah. powerful way to be able to execute things. And so it's like, she's like, I don't want to speak up. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want, I, I don't need to be seen, la la la, but I want to be doing all of these things behind the scene. And so it's like, it's a lot of our success is for those that are, sitting behind and doing these, these things that quite frankly, I don't want to do. Right. So it's like, it's really, it's really beautiful to make sure that we're being a witness to the different strengths that exist and that all of it happens um, when you put those together. Absolutely. Wow. Well, normally we ask for a closing piece of wisdom, but I, I think, I mean, I would love, love, love to keep exactly another you. mic drop. Um, but yeah, that was a total mic drop. That was amazing. Um, <laughs> Chanda, thank you so much for being with us and, and for everything you're doing for humanity uh, and the love that you're spreading. Um, it's like, been really likewise. With you. I, I feel the same about you both. And thank you so much for having me here and talking about really, really important things that need to be discussed. So thank you so much. And love. <laughs> and love. And with that, this has been another episode of Interdisciplinary, the podcast where you have all the feels and you leave inspired and ready to play whatever your part is in the um, transformation of our society to a place that is more caring and more loving and where we don't have to fight for our health care. It's just a fact. So go like us, go share, go tell your mom, tell your pets, tell whoever that they should listen to Interdisciplinary and uh, leave us a review, leave us some stars, whatever works for you, but we'll look forward to uh, seeing you soon. And remember to uh, think about becoming a Patreon because uh, the cool stuff happens to the Patreons. So thanks again. We'll see you next week. Interdisciplinary is produced by Healwell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. You can send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at healwell.org. New episodes will be posted weekly via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our Facebook page. Thank you.